Welcome into the 2QB Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Smith, at Greg Sauce on Twitter. This is episode 89 of the 2QB XP and the ninth installment of the 2 Day series. Each episode is going to feature two guests, and you know the deal at this point. We're trying to capture all things quarterback from a bunch of different people around the fantasy community. Today's first guest is Josh Hermsmeyer of 444.com and airyards.com. We're going to talk about depth of targets, relationship to wide receivers versus its relationship to quarterbacks, and we're going to talk about the value of depth-adjusted completion percentage in evaluating QBs. Today's second guest is Chris Allen, also a 4 for 4 but then a Fantrax and the Dynasty Owners Manual podcast. Chris and I will talk about the dangers of recency bias, the importance of looking beyond accumulated counting stats, and the origins of his exploration into weather's effects on fantasy football. Before we get to our guests, I want to remind you that the 2QB's 2018 2QB and Superflex Draft Guide is now available. Visit 2QBs.com, T-W-O-Q-B-S.com to check out what we've got in the guide. I want to highlight the article in there by Peter Howard today about potential breakout quarterbacks. He uses regression analysis and advanced metrics to identify lower-cost passers who could outperform their draft slots. And Peter's article is just the tip of the iceberg. The guide features 221 jam-packed digital pages. 10% of each sale is going to go to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. So what are you waiting for? Let's go get one of these. Uh, To pick yours up and dominate your two quarterback leagues, head over to 2QBs.com. Once again, that's T-W-O-Q-B-S.com and order your copy today. Use the code BREAKOUT to get 10% off. Make sure you click proceed to checkout before entering in that coupon code. If you enter it on the cart screen, it's not going to work. We're going to try to fix that. Maybe not. At this point, we've, we've come so far. Like... We probably won't be able to fix that problem in any reasonable amount of time. So anyway, just make sure you click proceed to check out before you enter that code BREAKOUT to get your 10% off. Now it's time to get to our guests. Let's go. I'd like to welcome in Josh Hermsmeyer to the pod of 444.com and airyards.com. Josh, I'm really excited to have you on today, man. How you doing? Doing great, Greg. Thanks for having me on uh, to talk about QBs a little bit. Not not really my wheelhouse. Uh, uh, you know, I'm more of a wide receiver guy, but I have looked at them uh, a little bit in the past year, so I'm excited to talk about it. I mean, somebody's got to throw those wide receivers the ball, though. So you, you're, you're you're stuck with me today. That's you're, we're gonna we're gonna grind through it. Um, I'm gonna start you off with the same question I give everybody to to kick off this series. What's the biggest quarterback evaluation takeaway you've gained through your work in the fantasy industry at four for four and with your air yard stuff? Yeah, I think the the biggest and most kind of like influential finding I've found for my own way of thinking and my own process is that. A dot depth of target belongs to the wide receiver. And it's kind of, we think of the, everything starts with the quarterback, right? He's the guy who calls the play. He might even be doing line adjustments. He's doing the pre-snap read. Um, and then he takes the, either the snap or the, or the shotgun snap or the handoff. And then he processes his reads and delivers the ball on time and on target. And all of that kind of gives us this mental model of everything belongs to him. When in fact, the things that are most uh, relevant to the stats that we care about in fantasy and actually the NFL team should actually be cared about in terms of production, things like yak, things like completion percentage, all of those things depend so, so much on depth of target, much more than the skill of the quarterback. Um, you take an a league average quarterback and a uh, the, the league's best, most accurate quarterback, Drew Brees, and you'll see that each of them both are highly influenced by how far down the field they're throwing the ball. And so you have to adjust for that. You need to think about their job in terms of how far down the field 
on a particular pass they had to throw the ball or they chose to throw it. And what dictates that? Well, the offensive coordinator, but he's not on the field, so we can't really, you know, grade him or the and the uh, and the wide receiver or the receiver could be the running back or the tight end. And and so, you know, his routes, the routes he's asked to run, the progression in that concept, that pass concept that he is a part of are, are all chosen ahead of time. And his skill in winning that route and in creating separation or sometimes not if it's a back shoulder throw or a contested catch situation, um, all of those things are owned by the by the wide receiver. And so if we're going to look at projecting quarterbacks, if we're going to look at saying, you know, who's got the best situation, who's the best QB in the league, we can't do it without first, in my opinion, looking at the wide receivers because their skills, how deep they run their routes, where they win are going to determine where that quarterback ends up throwing the ball. Um, and it doesn't start the other way around. The quarterback finds the open guy. He doesn't make the open guy. So how do you, how much do you care about processing for a quarterback? Because, you know, the, the easiest read to make is the one that's shorter down the field, right? Those routes are going to develop more quickly. He might not know, like, you know, know for certain that a guy's going to get open down the field. He had like on a, on a deeper route, he has to be able to, instinctually kind of see that based upon other factors as, as the play develops like and to me that does matter like from a quarterback evaluation standpoint like I don't know how you quantify that necessarily with statistics but is that something you care about like processing speed or, or a quarterback's just inherent ability to process you know how a play's design is is meant to work in the first place when you adjust for depth of target you can get at um, through completion percentage and depth adjusted completion percentage you can get at the idea of mental processing, because if a guy is attempting passes and completing them at a high rate over all depths of target, then you know that he's running through his progressions in the proper way. And, and you know, sometimes people want to talk about QBs being system QBs or non-system QB, and I don't really know what to do with those definitions. The, the truth of the matter is, if a QB is operating at a high level within his offense, he's the embodiment of the system. So taking the two and teasing them apart is impossible. Um, Joe Montana was a system QB. I mean, every good quarterback has been a system QB. It, all that means is they operated the system they were asked to perform at a high level. They delivered the ball on time and on target and did the mental processing required to, to get to that point. So, um, yeah, I think it's really difficult um, to, to judge a player's innate you know, mental processing skill. It's one of the hardest things in evaluating QB play, and it's you know, one of the things that even pro evaluators get wrong all the time. I mean, yep. if you look at the QB hit rate for first round QBs, it's abysmal, um, especially if you're spending that kind of draft capital on a player. Um, you know, getting at what's in a guy's head is very, very difficult. But I think our best tool, along with watching the tape and, and kind of giving context to the data, is, is this idea of depth adjusted completion percentage. Are there baselines you're looking for quarterbacks and or receivers to hit in that regard? And can you kind of tell us where that range of depth of target is um, and you know, maybe how we can use that to identify quarterbacks who might be undervalued or overvalued? So are we talking about in the NFL or uh, in college coming to the NFL? Or which, which one we, uh, were well, we which, speaking Which about? way you want to go, man? Let's, it's, this is your show. Sure. So like, for, we'll start with the college. So um, the folks at um, – Gosh, what is it? It's the, the Bleacher Report property study hall film. What is it? Uh, something study hall, college study hall. I forget the name of it. Anyway, uh, the gentleman there did, did, a, did a, a study on uh, QB play. And what he found was that 
this, the performance of a QB in college sets the ceiling for his performance in the pros. And it's been true in every single case that we've ever looked at. You never eclipse your efficiency that you presented in college in the pros. It's just harder, right? You're not mm-hmm. playing the same teams. You're not playing the teams that are, uh, you know, half your teams are on a cupcake schedule. So, um, so the, so the QB level, uh, at the QB level, the college play sets the ceiling. And if you look at a guy like Baker Mayfield coming out, if you look at league average in the NFL completion percentage by depth of target, and it's a downward, it's negatively correlated, like completion percentage goes down as depth of target goes up. Intuitive, his, yep. His was so far over the average for his college performance across all depths of target. There wasn't one depth of target he even sniffed average um, that – it makes you believe in any evaluation that says, A, he has a decent arm because obviously he's completing it deep when he takes those shots. Mm-hmm. B, he's accurate because otherwise these passes wouldn't be completed. And C, he was operating at a high level within his offense. And that means he has at least the ability to operate an offense like he was in college. Um, and and I, I can't really speak more to matching college offenses with pro offenses. I really think that um, that's something that it's very, very tactical, and it's it's something that only coaches can know by working with a player. But I think it's not an insurmountable thing. Um, in the NFL, all you have to do is look back on a player's historical completion percentage um, by depth of target. If his previous year was well off those norms, uh, you can expect to bounce back because players tend to regress very, very strongly to their own mean, to their historical mean in that step. Can you tell us what, like, the – kind of NFL averages for uh, depth-adjusted completion percentage? Well, it's a curve, right? So it's there isn't just one number. It's There's a number for every target depth. So, yeah, yeah. So on, on airyards.com, if you go into under efficiency and you click on QBs and you go to completion percentage, you'll see a, an orange curve. And it, it starts out around 85 90% for a negative five-yard pass so behind the line of scrimmage. And then it continues to slope all the way down to about 25, 30 yards, where it gets down to around 32% on average. Um, and so, you know, what you want to do is you want to plot every QB at every depth of target and see where their uh, average is at each of those depths of target, how many times they throw at each depth of target. Um, what's really interesting, going back to this idea that uh, wide receivers own dot, own the depth of target, Last year, coming into the year, there were two quarterbacks. And we don't have any this year that really fit this bill. But last year, there were two quarterbacks, Carson Wentz, if you recall, and and Alex Smith. Both were being lambasted as being game managers who will never – they're just too fearful to throw the ball down the field. And, and one of the things that fell out of my research was that, no, no, it's probably not the case, especially if you have elite downfield targets that um, – have high A dots that are often targeted at those, at those deep depths. The quarterback, any quarterback in the NFL has the arm to make a deep throw. And if you have an open wide receiver, um, your, your, the margin of error for making those throws, um, is, is substantially higher than with a, an average wide receiver. And so what you saw with Alex Smith last year was that he didn't hesitate to take deep shots to, to re-kill and, and, you know, people want to say, well, he was wide open. Yeah, of course, but he still that's threw the ball. That's when you're supposed to throw it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's where you do it. And then and then Carson Wentz, he had Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith, and and he chucked the ball deep all over the place. He had a low A dot in his rookie year and had a huge A dot the next year, huge gains. It had nothing to do with him. It had everything to do with his receivers. And with the play calling to some extent too, correct? 
Well, they go together, right? So because right. the, the the OC actually chooses the routes. So yeah, absolutely. Do you have a, a favorite offensive scheme or like a favorite play caller? I like any play caller who doesn't run the ball on first down and that uses a lot of play action. Um, there are a few that fit that category. Um, some of the ones last year are, were highly successful. So it just sounds like, you know, hindsight kind of confirmation <laughs> bias, but guys like McVay, guys like, um, interestingly, he didn't have a good year until Jimmy Garoppolo came in, but guys like Shanahan, um, you know, of course, uh, the Eagles did a lot of that. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, there's a lot of hope invested now in, in Shanahan because of his prowess as a play caller and his, he, I think he was just on, uh, PFT or uh, with PFT commentator or commenter, uh, doing an interview, um, uh, with Barstool and he said, I'm not the guy who's going to run it on first and second down and throw on third. I'm not going to do that. And that's just, that's music to my, I don't know if I can swear. Oh, you that's can swear. Music, that's music to my fucking ears. I mean, that right there. <laughs> is that's what that's the way the NFL should be. The NFL on first down should be running play action 70% of the time and running it um, and then running a, a straight drop, maybe another 5% and then actually running the ball 25% of the time. It really should be a lot lot different um and the numbers bear that out. One of the other great things you have at airyards.com is your your game speed visualizations and I'm wondering if your work with game speed has taught you anything or can you draw any correlations from that aspect of receiver play to quarterback play? Are there any impacts that you find apparent there? Not really. Um, you know, game speed is really best used at validating like narratives. So, um, coming into the season, there were a couple I wanted to test. And one of them was, you know, a lot of people were saying Jordy lost a step and, and, and it's an interesting thing because there were a lot of tape people saying this. And, uh, that to me just struck me as off. Because when I looked at the game speed data, it showed very, very clearly that uh, Jordy Nelson's speed with the football in his hands, with pads on, um, with big people chasing him, trying to do harm to him, uh, was exactly the same as in 2016 when he was the overall wide receiver, too. Um, Like the second best wide receiver in fantasy. So uh, nothing changed in terms of his ability, um, his athletic ability from year to year. What changed was Aaron Rodgers got injured. Um, and he never caught another touchdown pass um, with the backup. Um, in fact, if you look, he never scored more than, I believe, 10 or 12 points with the backup. And, 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 uh, and so, of course, you're going to look bad when you have a below NFL quality, a below replacement level QB. All of the things I've said so far about wide receivers owning depth of target on the rest, they assume at least competency at the NFL quarterback position. If you put me out there, everything fall apart. Let's just be real, you know. So you, you can't you, you can't just totally excuse the quarterback position and say that they don't have any impact on the game. Um, they need to be able to make those reads. They need to have you know be able to have uh, league average arm strength, be able to make the out throws, the deep outs, um, all those things. They need to check those boxes. But once they do, um, really, what you're looking at is things uh, are more dependent on the receiver. So anyway, um, I look at game speed as more of a validator of those type of things. So I, um, you know, Jordy Nelson is by all reports had a good camp. Uh, Gruden said that he tested him in the, with the player tracking thing and he tested out at 22 miles an hour in a straight line. Um, that is super duper fast. So, uh, I think Jordy is, is looking good this year. Another thing that I, I looked at last year with game speed, this isn't quarterback or wide receiver related, but, uh, Joe Mixon versus TJ Yeldon. Um, they tested it out at the combine, a slightly different, 
uh, 40 times. Uh, Joe Mixon tested faster than Yeldon. Yeldon was actually faster last season with pads on on the actual game surface. Um, just interesting things like that you can find out using game speed. That's pretty cool. Yeah, Yeldon's one of my favorite best ball targets in the later rounds because he has that PPR upside, and if Fournette gets hurt, you could really see him coming into like a larger role. Um, but back to quarterbacks, and I also I want to touch on the access that you've uh, gained to play-by-play data, and I'm wondering if you have any insights from that that you could share on the quarterback position. Sure, and and I just I guess what I would say is all I've really done is validated a lot of the amazing work that Eric Eager did over at PFF. Um, he's been looking at quarterbacks I think since he started three years ago, um, and again I'm I'm newer to this and I'm just recently getting richer data. Um, and, uh, and when I had the air yards data, I was looking more at wide receivers cause it was more predictive, but here's what I found or here's what I validated. Um, QBs play better, um, obviously from a clean pocket, but what's super interesting is that that clean pocket performance is orders of magnitude more predictive of their future performance than their performance under pressure. And so what you want to do when you're projecting QBs is strip out all the pressure situations and just look at how good they were and rank them according to how they did um, in clean pockets because you can't hold against them what happens in a clean uh, in an unclean pocket because it's always so different every every play that's rushed or that there's pressure or the quarterback was hit is slightly different in nature than the one previous to it and the one that's going to happen after it Blitzes come from all different sides. Blocks are blown on the left, on the right, and in the center. Um, you know, hits come early, late. All those things are not repeatable, and so it's noise that you should just ignore. And the way you account for those situations is you grade lines. You use PFF grades for lines. Or it turns out that, that pressure allowed by an offensive line is really, really predictive compared to other NFL stats. So then you can just rank lines by pressure allowed. And you can pretty much assume that a percentage of plays, passing plays, will get um, will get pressure the next season, and you'll, and you'll be pretty close. And so, uh, what you would look for is guys who were really good in clean pockets that also have an offensive offensive line um, that's going to allow as little pressure as possible. And so, those are the those are really the two keys I've found to predicting uh, QB performance going into the next year. That makes me think of Alex Smith for some reason. Does he fit the bill? You know, I'd have to look at his. I have to look at his data. What's cool though is you can go to airyards.com and you can filter out all uh, QB hits. So that takes care of most pressures. I don't have all pressure data, but that takes care of most pressures. And then you can look at how they did when they weren't hit in the pocket. And uh, and Alex Smith was decent. You know, he was, he got a lot better after he left San Francisco. He was really up and down. He would have up and down seasons in San Francisco. And then when he got to KC, he really steadied. And um, and each year, like his expected completion percentage was right on with his actual completion percentage. So he just kind of played to par every year under Reed. Um, this year, I don't know what will happen. And when you have changes of scenery and slightly new schemes, um, it, it becomes really difficult to project uh, players and their performance. Who do you think is the most overvalued quarterback in fantasy right now? Watson's the, the guy that I'm down on the most. Um, and, and the reason being, he had just unreal efficiency. And we tend to... We tend to give lip service to the idea of regression. We tend to give lip service to the idea that a guy is not going to be as good as he was the previous year. And the way that we we do that is we say, well, we'll just, you know, we'll knock it down 20 percent, 30 percent. Right. Now we've taken care of regression. But what really happens is he's just as likely with the TD rate that he had 
to have a 3% TD rate this year. We have guys year over year that go like Matt Ryan, who went from about what Watson had last year to last year, right, where he had 22 passes, TD passes. It was ridiculous. That happens in football all the time, all the time. And we just won't allow ourselves to conceive of the idea that the Watson is going to be or is likely not going to be anything close to what he was in his small sample last year. And that's another reason why I don't like him is because we really don't know. I mean, we, we, we know about it a little bit more about him than we knew about Jimmy G. And people are rightly a little skeptical of Jimmy G this year. So, um, yeah, he's my number one guy for overvalued quarterback. I think some people, a lot of people have him ranked as the number one, maybe number two quarterback on their board. And I just think that's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, he's definitely been the most popular answer to the overvalued question. Um, who's the most undervalued in your eyes? It'd have to be either Matt Ryan or Andy Dalton. And Matt Ryan, for the reason I just stated, his 22 touchdowns are very, very likely to rest upwards when he has the types of players around him that he does like um, Julio Jones. Uh, Julio Jones is not going to catch three touchdowns next year. It may only be five next year. But it's not going to be three. And uh, and my and my guess is it's going to be eight or more um, just because a guy like him um, has pride on the line. Um, he he had more red zone targets than he ever had in his career last year. In fact, I think he was fourth in the league in red zone targets and he only converted, um, you know, that was to three touchdowns. And uh, that's just bad luck for the most part. He's an exceptional player, and Matt Ryan is is a, is a, an above-average quarterback. And for that kind of result to reoccur would be um, an amazing thing. Now, uh, again, TDs are random, and you can't put your finger on exactly uh, how many TDs a player is going to get. But guys like Mike uh, Clay at ESPN and work I've done has shown that the thing that best predicts TDs are targets, and Julio Jones gets a ton. And if Julio Jones is getting touchdowns, then that means that Matt Ryan will be getting touchdowns. Um, and so he's one of my picks for undervalued. The other guy is Andy Dalton. They had a historically low pace last year, and that is highly, highly unlikely to repeat. Again, those types of numbers at the team level regress to the league mean. They're going to be at least a league average offense this year in terms of pace, and that means a lot more uh, passing attempts. So you've been banging the drum on Julio uh, quite a bit. Is there Are there any other receivers that kind of fit that bill for you where the targets should equate to more touchdowns in 2018? That's a good question. Um, you know, as I'm thinking about it, going through the top list, you know, no, there aren't a ton in, in that top category that are as egregious as Julio with just three touchdowns. It's really hard to find guys who get that type of volume and don't score at least six or seven touchdowns. Um, one guy that perennially scores fewer touchdowns than you might expect based on his volume is Jarvis Landry. And I think there are narrative-based reasons that make sense for that. Um, and, and one of those is simply that he's used in the short area so much and not out wide on the boundary. And especially in the end zone, that's a lot of congestion, or near the end zone uh, when the field gets condensed. That's a lot of congestion in that area. And, and uh, it's hard for him to peel open in those situations. However, this year he's going to be on the other part of that is because he's not targeted in the open field on the boundary. There's not a lot of opportunity for him to break off long plays, but it seems like this year with the Browns, he's going to be targeted on the boundary a lot more. He's going to be wide, uh, line, lining up out wide um, by all accounts um, at a higher clip. Um, he's catching he, in the first preseason game. He had a contested catch. I just saw one handed catch in practice. Um, I think, 
there's an opportunity for him to outperform his historical TD rate um, this season just because of those changes and how he's being deployed. Who's the toughest quarterback for you to evaluate right now? Like somebody who you can't really get a great feel for one way or the other. Any Jets QB. <laughs> Any Jets QB. I have no idea what's going on there. Um, and I think anyone who says they have a clue, and I don't think, know of anyone, so I'm not. this is not shade towards anyone at all. But anyone who thinks they know, I, they're, they're insane. There's just, there's, that is not a situation that's projectable. Let's talk about where you're actually drafting these quarterbacks uh, in fantasy. What's the typical price point at which you dive in to the quarterback position? And let's start with just like your traditional one quarterback leagues. Oh, a little after the 10th round. Um, later, if I can help it, depending on how many have gone off the board. Um, again, my targets uh, at that point are, are typically, you know, guys that are left are, are the guys like Matt Ryan and uh, certainly Andy Dalton. He's one of the last going off the board. Um, so I can I can almost always guarantee I'll get one of those two um, in a redraft league um, that is uh, one QB. How about in two quarterback formats? So that's really playing it by ear. It depends on the type of people that you're playing with. But typically mm-hmm. you got to start taking – you'll see Rodgers come off the board oftentimes in the first round or second round. And you need to start thinking about your quarterback by at least the third on, uh, if you don't want to get a huge run with people doubling up on their QBs and completely ignoring all the other positions. And I've, I've had that happen and it's uh, disconcerting because there are only 32 of them. And if you're playing a 12 team league um, and people have taken almost all of them and they're leaving you with jets, QBs um, you know, that that's rough. So uh, yeah. So, so a third round is when I'm, is when I'm targeting quarterbacks in two QB leagues. So if you let's hypothetically say you got put into that spot, I mean, I I have a feeling you wouldn't actually let it get to this point, but if you had to pick between the Jets quarterbacks right now, I mean, which one are you taking? Like, just how are you rolling the dice there? Right now, it's it's smelling like uh, Darnold. I don't know exactly what the thinking is inside the building, um, and that's going to dictate who they go with at the beginning. Um, And what I mean by that is how much leeway do the coaches have this year in terms of underperformance? Because last year everyone was saying they were punting and then they ended up coming strong at the gate. And I think, what did they win? Seven games. Mm-hmm. Um, they were, they overperformed. So maybe he bought, the, they bought themselves some time, uh, the coaching staff with ownership and, and the, or the GM, and they're not going to get fired if things go really poorly with Donald. Um, but if they're in under any of that kind of pressure, uh, kind of pressure, maybe Sashi was under, uh, I think they, they will probably go and encounter someone who's going to give them the best chance to win right at the beginning rather than to kind of build for the future. Yeah, I, I'm generally with you. If I had to put my chips on one of those, uh, you know, guys, it would probably be Darnold just because of the fact that they just brought him in. There's that draft capital that I, I, I can take or leave the draft capital argument most of the time. But in this case, when you have just this three-headed monster at quarterback and the team probably still isn't going to be great, uh, they're still battling the Patriots in that division. Like they're they're not really going to do anything, even if they make the playoffs. It, I think it makes sense to get the rookie reps, but you know we'll see. Um, kind of across all your leagues, is there a quarterback you wish you could be drafting more often? And I, I'm not trying to say like a you know an elite guy that you're just never going to get based on price, but someone who like you would be fine with taking, but for whatever reason he always goes like a little bit sooner than than you're willing to take him. Sure. I love Drew Brees again this year, and he is actually a lot more um, – he's a lot cheaper. He's a lot more affordable this year than he was last. Uh, him and Brady were going pretty high up, if I recall, in two QB leagues. Yeah. I don't, I don't think they were making it out of the second round. 
Um, and, and this year, I think you can get him in the middle of the back. Um, and that's, I think that's a huge bargain. He had one down season, but he was still extremely accurate. Um, perhaps a little velocity gone off some of his throws and perhaps they're protecting his arm from overexertion and fatigue throughout the season. But I don't know that I buy either of those narratives at all. Um, he has some incredible weapons. And even if he is just dumping it off to Kamara, that's still a pretty good play. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, I don't, I, I think he, I think he's highly undervalued and I would take as much Drew Brees this year as I could, uh, if he was going in a spot where I thought it was, uh, it made sense for the way I was building my team. Yeah. I think the way he's being valued this year reminds me a lot of how Russell Wilson and Cam Newton were being valued last year to where he's just, yeah, kind of on that cusp of, of where he's falling to a point where you're okay going after a, a quote-unquote elite guy because the price is right. And he's been a common answer to that question from other analysts in this series. We're, we're running out of time here, Josh. Do you have any other thoughts on analyzing quarterbacks or draft strategy for the position that you want to share with the listeners before we sign off? Just that I think even in two QB leagues, if you're, if you're not in the middle of one of those runs, don't be afraid of going um, you know a little later with your picks. Um, I really do think that um, a lot, a lot of the quarterback position, because of the things I mentioned, as long as they have weapons around them, as long as they're going to have at least league average pace, are going to put up pretty similar numbers on a per game basis. Um, and 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 if you can get guys like last year, I was all in on on Russell Wilson, just like you mentioned, and I think Drew mm-hmm. Brees is a lot in that position this year. Um, I think he stands a really good chance to outperform his draft cost. And if you can't get him and you can get guys like Matt Ryan and Andy Dalton, I think they're both going to do fabulously this year. So, um, yeah, I guess, I guess that, that's my takeaway is that, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't lose your mind. Don't, don't forego a good quarterback or excuse me, a good wide receiver or a good running back in the early rounds. Um, just because you feel like you need to, to, um, to, to, to be a part of that first wave of QBs that go off the board. All right. Last thing, say something nice about this episode's other guest, Mr. Chris Allen. Chris Allen's my boy. He loves uh, uh, brewing. Um, so we have that in common. And at some point in my life, I want to get together with him and, and share some home brew and uh, work with him at 4 for 4, just a, a really stellar analyst and, uh, um, and, and an all-around great guy. So I, I, I'm glad you have him on. The Fantasy Industry Beer Fest, man. I want to be there for that. Let's get to Chris right now. I'd like to welcome in Chris Allen of 444.com, Fantrax, and the Dynasty Owners Manual podcast. Chris, it's awesome to have you on. I'm super excited. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and thanks again, Greg, for having me on tonight. It's, uh, I mean, it's an honor for me, and kind of as we were talking before we started recording, listening to some of the guests, or I've tried to listen to as many podcasts as possible uh, from the series that you've got going on here, and just to be invited to kind of bring my thoughts in, process, and discuss some of my work, I'm very honored to do so. So thanks again for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on, and I mean, I even in the beginning stages of this, like kind of during the inception of it, I think before I even released any episode or maybe it was just after like the first episode dropped I, I even threw it out on twitter it was like hey if you have done podcasts and you want to come on the show and talk about qbs like hit me up a couple people did but i i was a little discouraged that more people didn't like i i want to gather as many opinions on the quarterback position as possible and for you chris i want to start out with the same question i kind of ask everybody what is the biggest evaluation takeaway that you have for the quarterback position uh, from your work in the industry, you know, at 444, at Fantrax, on your podcast, like what what stands out to you in terms of evaluating quarterbacks? 
I would say that there are two, I guess, take that back. There are three things now. I had originally listed two that just came off the top of my head, but now as we were just talking about it, a third. The, the first is that I think when it comes to drafting quarterbacks, a lot of folks, they tend to, whatever happened last year, that's the first thing that they come back to the, uh, the year afterwards. So if we're thinking about quarterback value, you can already see those trends happening in the for the 2018 season. We have Deshaun Watson going very high in yep. terms of ADP. I mean, we have Tom Brady and Drew Brees. Like some of that, the, they're kind of falling because maybe some folks are thinking the age is going to catch up to them. And then you've got guys that we know that they can perform well, but they might be sitting towards the back end of your drafts, like the uh, Marcus Mariotas, the Ben Roethlisbergers, the Philip Rivers, the guys that we know can play, but they might have a few question marks here and there. So it just seems like a lot of what we originally thought of these players and going into 2017 and how 2017 ended for some of them seems to be stuck in our brains. And that's kind of what forms are and are being the general public. And that's what forms ADP. That's what seems to be our opinion of them going into and how we draft them in the year after that. But then also there's more to it than just their counting stats. It's not just about how many attempts that they made or what their touchdown rate is, even though all of that's important. There are just there's more to it than just the, than just the stats that we look up on pro football reference and things of that nature. Their offensive line play, uh, who they're who they're actually throwing the ball to, who's catching it from each of these quarterbacks, uh, the offensive scheme that they're playing in. The even, even for some of them, a lot of the rookies that are coming in now that we're expecting to start, some of their college evaluation, the offensive schemes they played in there, at least to a certain point, those are things or those that's criteria that we need to at least understand i wouldn't say all of it is weighted equally but some of it i think if not some of it all of it are things that we should consider when we go to draft them like for instance i know a lot of folks were down on Dak prescott last year especially towards the end of the season because he seemed to be performing poorly over the last i would say five or six games towards the end of the season well a lot of folks wanted to say that well he didn't have zeke well, well. Also, without having Tyron Smith, uh, Tyron Smith on the on the offensive line, that also seemed to be a huge part to why he wasn't playing so well and why you saw a lot of dip in his play. And then the same thing for New Orleans in terms of the receivers. Well, if you have the, I guess, what was their the running back duo's nickname, Boom and Zoom? <laughs> that was what they gave for Mark Ingram and, and Alvin Kamara. Well, if you have them in such the, a high pass, a high efficiency offense in terms of just the, the running game in and of itself, Drew Brees isn't being expected to throw as much. So if you have these ancillary receivers that are now outdoing much of what we would expect for the Ted Ginns of the world and you know, players of that nature, then, of course, they're not going to be producing as much. So that's, uh, that's something else that we have to account for. And then in terms of offensive schemes, I have no idea what the Buffalo Bills are going to do this year, but they seem to have such a huge problem on their hands when it comes to, well, they drafted, well, I mean, they drafted Josh Allen after trading out for him and spending such a lot of draft capital on him. But if we've seen any of the videos from training camp, and even some of this preseason play, we're not really sure if he's ready. But then backing him up is Nathan Peterman, and everybody will forever remember his baptism when he went to, uh, when he went to play against the Chargers. Never forget. And then, Never forget. I, I, nobody will ever forget that. I mean, I, I streamed. I, I was actually. I played. I used the uh, the Chargers defense oh, in a DFS that that week and I made out like a bandit. But and then also AJ McCarron, who they uh, who they got from the Bengals. With that, 
a lot of how each of those each of those quarterbacks is going to integrate into the Bills offense, we have to take a take a look into how each of those quarterbacks were able to perform individually. So when Josh Allen was in Wyoming, when A.J. McCarron was, you can even go back to when A.J. McCarron was still playing for Alabama to try and see how he progressed as a quarterback since he didn't get, get a ton of time in Cincinnati. He had a few starts when Andy Dalton was out with a busted thumb. But again, and then the same thing with Peterman, but again, all of those things are what makes the quarterback, all of these all of these metrics, all of these situations and how they responded to it are things that we have to account for when we go to evaluate quarterbacks. It's not just it's not just attempts, it's not just touchdowns, it's not just interceptions. All of the how they how they read the field, how they react to certain situations, those are also things that we need to account for when we're drafting them. Oh, definitely. Now, I'm, I'll actually want to pivot away from quarterback because you brought up the New Orleans backfield, and I haven't talked about this much on the show, but what do you expect to see from them in those early games when Mark Ingram is, is suspended? Are you looking to maybe leverage that and try to find some value with one of their like no-name you know, third-string running backs, or are you just saying it's it's Kamara or Buss? Like, what, what's your opinion of how that's going to play out, and do you have any worry that you know, based upon how things played out with Willie Sneed last year, that maybe Mark Ingram might not be as good as we think he should be when he comes back? No, I guess for me, it, I, I, I would guess I might sound somewhat hypocritical by just going back and looking at 2017. But if you look at Mark Ingram's track record within New Orleans, I know that the narrative is that he's always been in uh, Peyton's doghouse. They're, they're just, they can't seem to get along. Every, at, any, at every turn, they've tried to get a new running back in. You know, They brought in the, the quote-unquote corpse of Adrian Peterson to try and outdo him. They got Alvin Kamara. They, they want to try and get rid of him as soon as possible. But regardless, it seems to me that Mark Ingram has still been able to hold on to the starter's, the starter's job despite being out-touched they, they're looking for somebody to complement Mark Ingram, not necessarily replace Mark Ingram. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this is the last year on his deal, so they might try and get as much out of him as possible before he gets shipped off because I just can't see with the talent that between Kamara and then the talent they have waiting in the wings with the rookies that uh, with the rookie that they drafted that he's going to still be in New Orleans after this year. But at least for the 2018 season, I still think that Ingram's going to walk back into his normal role within the team. I have no, I have zero concern about Terrence West remaining a starter or even contributing in any way, shape, or form after Ingram gets back. So I would assume that for those first four weeks that they continue, they try and lean on Drew Brees as much as possible in order to move the offense and Alvin Kamara to, to some degree. I don't think that Kamara is going to turn into this bell cow type of running back where he's getting between around 25 touches, 25 to 30 touches a game. I just don't see him performing in that role. And as we've and as most uh, reports have indicated, that's not what the team wants for him. So my expectation is that they'll try and spread the ball around a little bit more. So I would try and look for some of their ancillary receivers like Cameron Meredith, assuming health, uh, Ted Ginn, he's still there. Uh, Traquan Smith, if you want to try and dive deep into some of the rookies that uh, the rookies that they have there, I mean a lot of those a lot of those players I think could have value for those first four weeks, and then afterwards things kind of return back to the 2017 game plan. I'm not assuming that the receivers are going to be or become absolutely useless after that time, but I think that's kind of how they would want to try and structure their offense, use the running backs that they have, and then let the receivers also work in tandem with them. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and I'm generally with you on that. Um, getting back to QBs, you mentioned Josh Allen and those Buffalo Bills quarterbacks. Now, I, I've referenced this piece by Derek Lassett on the show a couple times before, but kind of breaking down how Allen could potentially fit in that offense in Buffalo where maybe they'll use him more as a runner. How do you, like, let's assume that Josh Allen is named the week one starter because they just want to get him more reps. Like, how do you see that playing out? Like, could he outperform expectation? Because the expectations right now are, are basically bargain basement. Like, they're super low. Absolutely. And I think that it's possible for him to perform well within himself. I just think that they need to, uh, and by they, I think that the coaching staff, they need to rein him in. I know a lot of folks said that, well, you know, he's just this, this wild, I mean, wild in terms of accuracy, but he has a cannon on, you know, attached to his, to his right shoulder, things of that nature. But again, if we want to try and look at the, the scheme or the entire offense in general, now they brought in Brian Dable as the, as the offensive coordinator, and he has a ton of experience within the, within the Patriots organization. Now the offensive scheme that the Patriots organization use, and it's something that uh, Dable has actually been known for using both in, uh, in the pros and then also in college when he went there as well, uh, was the the Earhart Perkins offense and that scheme uses a bunch of uh, like it's short route combinations and uh, well we'll actually take that back it's shorter play calls and also a number of route combinations that make it simpler for the quarterback now to, if I'm sitting here as just an outsider I would think that for a rookie quarterback coming into a new system and coming into professionals that would be something that you would want to give them something simple allows them to do quick reads. And I think for Josh Allen and his skills at this point, since he's not all that great at uh, adjusting to pressure and being able to make his first uh, make second and third reads, this would be something good for him to actually get acquainted with or to use when he's on the field. So if he was put in a position where he was he did have to start in week one, sure, but let's keep let's keep have him play within himself don't let him go off and try and do the things that he was doing when he was still in college let's give him a structured game plan let's give him quick reads so that he can get the ball quickly to kelvin benjamin let's have him get the ball quickly out to charles clay short reads quick throws things of that nature and assuming Lashawn mccoy is playing and we'll, i guess we'll let the courts sort all of that stuff out but assuming he's also playing He'll have a bunch of safety valves for him to get some of these quick passes out. And if that's the case, then, yeah, I think that he can at least continue to move the offense on schedule without getting – without throwing the ball or going, like, too too crazy you know, in that sort of scheme. Well, and if he can develop his skills in those shorter ranges of the field, that is when defense will, defenses will have to start respecting it, which unlocks the deeper throws that you know we're really excited to see him make. Are there any other teams where you're you're interested to see kind of the marriage of quarterback and scheme out there in the NFL? Uh, between quarterback and scheme, uh, the only ones that I can really think of off the top of my head right now, it, I don't want to see it. I guess I'll go in the opposite direction of of where your of your what your question is intending is that I'm not really sure how Russell Wilson and Sean are supposed to mix together. I know that Schottenheimer's kind of come out, and we can, and a lot of folks look back to his track record within the, with while he's been in the NFL to being more run heavy. But if you look at the Seahawks and their offensive line, and then also you have this running back battle between Chris Carson and Rashad Penny, 
I don't know how those two I don't know how those two things go together and what that spells for Russell Wilson. On the positive side, though, and we actually caught a glimpse of that last year was the marriage between uh, between uh, head coach of the Houston Texans. I cannot remember his Bill name. Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien. Thank you. Uh, between Bill O'Brien and Deshaun Watson. Now, we caught a glimpse of that, and it seems like he's been able to adjust well to the pros. We saw a number of highlights, but also a number of mistakes for the rookie last year. And I think that with some development, that is something that I think that could be a match made in heaven. Yeah, makes sense. Now, I want to pivot a little bit here. Jim Sonis talked up your research into weather during his appearance on the on the two, two A Days podcast series. Can you dive a little deeper into what you found and specifically how can weather impact quarterback play? Give us uh, like a brief rundown if you don't mind. Sure, sure. And I wanted to quickly, since I've never been able to do this, actually, this is the first time you're going to get the origin story of why I even started doing this. Nice. And, and Okay. And it starts with me actually talking with uh, the great Matt Harmon, and he was Actually, him and the other guys of the, uh, the formerly of the Fantasy Stronghold at, at NFL Network, they were hosting a fan league. I got into the fan league by making fun of Matt Harmon's last, uh, like the initials on the back end of his name. Boy, him boy. Boy. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I referenced that. I got into the league and then uh, I wound up playing against him, him and uh, Matthew Franciscovich. And one of the games that they were, uh, that, I was actually playing against, I believe I was playing against Matt at the time, and it was the uh, Redskins against the Baltimore Ravens, if I'm not mistaken. And that particular game, everybody was on Deshaun Jackson. He was going up against Sharice Wright, who at the time was performing poorly as a cornerback. But during that game, one, Sharice Wright was actually held out with an injury, and two, Deshaun Jackson did nothing. He put up like a three for 35 stat line. No touchdowns, no nothing. But... After when I listened to a couple of podcasts afterwards, there was a number of folks that were citing the wind because, if, if I'm not mistaken, the wind was somewhere between 15 sustained winds between 15 mile, 15 and 20 miles an hour. So I asked Matt, both of them actually, I shot them an email. I said, "Hey, has anybody done research into this? You know how games are affected by weather?" Both of them being so busy, I never got a response back. So I took it upon myself to start digging into it. Awesome. And lo and behold, here we are. But a lot of the things that I was able to find uh, just and this is me just scraping data off of pro football reference. And then also uh, after I started talking with uh, Josh Hermsmeyer, your other guest, uh, he was able to give me some air yards data after I began to understand like what that actually was. And he gave me some of some of his research was that, yeah, there are a number of at least league wide trends that point to weather impacting football games and then in turn impacting fantasy football games and i tried to look at it and tried to come at it from a number of different angles i think in the first uh, the first piece that i wrote for 444 was well let's look at it from the from the folks that try and bet on football games vegas for some reason they seem to get they seem to get all other games correct in terms of how they're going to project games and then how they want folks to bet on it but when it comes to any game that is affected by weather, whether it be rain, wind or, wind or snow, their projections actually fall short of the actual game total. Hmm. So I was like, oh, OK, so if Vegas isn't getting it right, let's look at the actual stats that are going on during the game. 
But during the games, similar trends started to pop up. There's just something different about weather games. Pass attempts are down. Target distribution shifts from wide receivers to running backs and tight ends. Deep passes start to drop off a little bit. So all of these things kind of led me to believe that, sure, I wouldn't say that a quarterback goes over to the sideline and says, coach, the wind's picking up. I got to I got to throw it to a running back or offensive coordinators are checking the weather report before the game and says, "Okay, well, it looks like there's going to be gusts up to up to 25 miles an hour. So we've got we've got to scheme for our tight ends. I'm not saying that that's happening. But what I am saying is that when it comes down to what actually happens during the game, it, 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 the, all the data seems to point towards something happening. I mean, there's some sort of effect that happens that causes quarterbacks to adjust to what's going on on the field. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's got to be some just intuitive psychology behind that, right? Like, if you know it's windy out, you don't necessarily want to throw the ball 40 yards down the field because you don't know where it's going when you're throwing it that far. Whereas, you know, your tight end and your running back who are in general running shorter routes are, you know, those are going to feel like safer throws if you are the quarterback. Now, like you said, that doesn't, that's not scheme. That's just psychology. And I I don't know how we quantify that. I mean, your research is trying to do that. Um, I'll link to some work uh, by you in that regard uh, in the show notes. So listeners, come check that out. Let's dive into just the general QB questions that I ask everybody, though, Chris. Who is 2018's most overvalued QB? It has to be Deshaun Watson. I, I can't, not to say that I've been playing fantasy football for decades or for long enough to say that this is the case, but I'm yet to see a quarterback with as few starts as Deshaun Watson being drafted this high the year after. I just can't recall of a, of a rookie that came in and, I mean, not to say that he's a bad player. I am rooting for Deshaun Watson. I wrote his profile piece for 4 for 4, and I was able to actually dig into some of his tape when he was still in college. I looked at, I went through a number of highlights, and I watched a lot of game film during his six starts uh, during the 2017 season. That boy can play. I am not going to sit here and say that I'm expecting him to do poorly, but I just don't understand why we would value Deshaun Watson over Tom Brady. I don't know why we would value Deshaun Watson over Cam Newton. I don't know why we would value Deshaun Watson over Drew Brees. There's just nothing, there's no inclination for me to draft somebody with that much risk on my fantasy team at such a high, at a, such a high cost. I think that's the biggest thing that I can't get past. From a number of drafts that I've been in, whether it be best ball or uh, just mock drafts or things of that nature, Deshaun Watson's going in the fifth sixth round i i can't do it i can't i personally I, I can't do it and again pulling for him i hope the texans and from what i've seen for uh, i believe it was warren sharp that put out the strength of schedule texans have one of the lightest schedules for quarterbacks so i mean i think that it's possible for him to perform well but in terms of the qb2 price qb3 price that you're gonna have to pay for him i can't do it Who's the most undervalued quarterback right now? The most undervalued quarterback, I would have to say, is Matt Ryan. I mean, if you look over the past four years, if you look at just touchdown rate, I believe the average touchdown rate over the last four years has been somewhere around like 4.2, somewhere Mm -hmm. around there. And Matt Ryan has either been at or over the touchdown rate in three out of those four years. I believe it was... 
last year when he was underneath it, when he was under the under the touchdown rate. But if we're looking at in terms of quarterback efficiency, I would still want somebody that can hover around or exceed the touchdown rate. And if we're assuming that there's going to be some positive regression with the offense, still have still has Julio Jones, still has Mohamed Sanu, still has Devonta Freeman. I mean, there are still a number of weapons that he has at his disposal. Why are we not treating Matt Ryan with the same, I guess, why he's not receiving the same amount of hype? And this is not necessarily a statistical way of looking at it, but this is more narrative-based. But if we have, if we look at some of the other players that are going, and say, in the first and second round, and the teams that they're, uh, the teams that are being drafted, uh, the teams that they belong to, if we're looking at, let's say, the, uh, let's say the, let's look at the Saints. We've got Alvin Kamara going in the first round. We've got Michael Thomas going in the, what? Beginning of the second round, we're on the one-two turn, something like that. Mm -hmm. Mark Ingram's going in the fifth round, somewhere in there. And Drew Brees is going in the ninth round. Okay, fine. I can understand that. We've got, for for the Texans, since we just talked about them, we've got DeAndre Hopkins going in the first round. Lamar Miller going in the fifth round. We've got Will Fuller going in the sixth and seventh round. And then Deshaun Watson, we just discussed, is going somewhere in that same area. That also makes sense to me. But we've got Julio Jones going in the first and second round, Devonta Freeman going in the second round, and we've got, so then why isn't Matt why isn't Matt Ryan also going closer to where we're valuing some of these other quarterbacks with weapons that are going in the single digit rounds? It doesn't make any sense to me. Yep, totally agree. He's one of the guys I'm ending up with the most this year for sure. Um, who who are you ending up with the most at the quarterback position? Uh, for right now, for his price, I've actually been picking up Drew Brees in the ninth round. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm loving that price for Drew Brees. For, for a guy that has, like I just mentioned, so many weapons that folks want to pick up in the first, second, fourth, fifth round, somewhere in there, I'll take the guy that's throwing him the ball in the ninth round. I think that's perfect price for him. Who's your toughest quarterback to evaluate this season? Um, I would say my toughest quarterback to evaluate this season has probably it, it's got to be it's got to be Josh Allen. Now that I think about it, I mean it really it really does. I just don't know how to reconcile how much the Bills gave up in order to get him with seemingly where he's at in terms of an NFL ready like passer and the sense that they're looking to try to start him as, as soon as possible. I, I don't understand it. When you have uh, when you have other quarterbacks that are available, I, I guess I say I use available loosely, <laughs> uh, but they have them there. I wouldn't say that Nathan Peterman's ready per se. I do think that AJ McCarron has the qualities of a starter. He seemed to perform well in his few starts in Cincinnati. Uh, that might be just my my biased fandom like talking, but I just. I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm having a. I'm struggling to understand how you can throw him out there with where he's at currently, from what we've been able to see of him so far. Yeah, that makes sense. Who's the worst quarterback that you'd be okay with starting? And let's uh, let's frame it for just one quarterback leagues right now. Where's where does your basement lie for QBs? Um, I would say somewhere in like the Blake Bortles range, where I I'd, I'd say okay, well, I have to get a starter. 
and I would like somebody that uh, a starter on a team that like projects to at least have some decent pieces. So they've got Fournette. Uh, we don't know what the who's going to be the wide receiver one, but at least most of them have some upside based off of their cost. Uh, the defense is still pretty strong, so you should keep him in games. Uh, he also has the running upside. So Blake Bortles would be about where I, I, I cut it off at. So how about in a two-quarterback format? Like where, what, What's like the low end of where you want your QB1, and then how deep are you willing to go for your QB2? Uh, for a QB1 in a two-quarterback league, it would probably be Phillip Rivers. I would want some stability in terms of – a historical track record, them, seeing them being able to produce, and Philip Rivers kind of hits all those boxes for me. Mm-hmm. So I would say that he would be kind of the, the bottom of where I would say, all right, he's going to be my Q, my QB one, and then I'd probably fall into a Bortles, Dalton, maybe even a Tannehill, if Eli Manning somewhere in there for a QB two. I like that you brought up Tannehill. What are your expectations for the receivers there? Because that's one of the hardest situations to sort out for me, Like especially because Devontae Parker's hurt. Kenny Stills is nursing some minor injury, it sounds like, in camp. Like They brought in Albert Wilson. Like What are you doing with those guys? Are you targeting any of them like late in your best balls? Uh, do you expect one of them to kind of stand out above the others? Because somebody has to catch the passes there from Tannehill. Right, and I was kind of off on Mike Mike Gesicki. Is that uh-huh. how you pronounce his last name? Close I enough. Was, <laughs> yeah, I was I was off on Gesicki to start the off season. I wasn't completely sure, at least in terms of like first year tight ends. And I think everybody's kind of come to understand that tight end the tight end position is kind of one of the most difficult to learn because you're asked to do so many different functions on the it, within the offense that f- rookies don't really take a, take into it like that quickly. But Gesicki seems to be finding a connection with Tannehill. Uh, we've seen that we've seen the videos of camp and things of that nature where he's catching passes, catching touchdowns, doing this, that, and the other. So I'm in on him. But in terms of the wide receivers, my vote's for Albert Wilson. I do think that the injuries, the nagging injuries that he had when he was still in KC kind of played into the fact that he was never really able to get on script with Alex Smith. But when he was on the field, I thought he was productive. I'm not saying that he was as productive as Tyreek Hill or or any of the other pieces that that were – any other pieces that were there, but I do think that Albert Wilson has the skills in order to take over for Devontae Parker should he be down or not perform as well or anything like that, especially I mean, if he's not able to. I think he can perform well as an outside receiver, but assuming Danny Amendola, how much longer is he going to be able to re- – I don't think he's going to be able to make it through the entire season based off of his injury history. So I do think even as a slot receiver, he should perform well. So my vote's for Albert Wilson. Yeah, and I like that you brought up Gasicki in that conversation as well. He doesn't play wide receiver, but you're right. We have to pay attention to him because it's so nebulous there. And we don't really know exactly what's going to play out in that receiver core. And he's a big body. He seems to have some you know, red zone connection with Tannehill and – he could very well be uh, like an Evan Ingram type from last year where he, he surprises us. You know, it's like we don't expect rookie tight ends to do much, but if they don't try to use him like a, a traditional tight end, if they let him play more of that split end role, you know, play more from the slot, like there's definitely upside there and potential for him to, to outperform his ADP. Chris, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, before we go, do you have any other thoughts on analyzing quarterbacks or draft strategy for the position that you want to share with the listeners? Sure. Um, 
And again, thank you for having me on this evening. And the one thing that I would want to impart to the listeners is that I know folks are going to listen to the, all the content that you're going to hear, all, most of the articles that you're going to read are always going to be talking about weight on quarterbacks. Late round quarterback strategy by the great J.J. Zacharyson, you know, folks of that nature that are always going to tell you to wait on quarterbacks. And that's fine. But the one thing that I would stress is that don't wait on quarterbacks at the at the cost of at, at the detriment of your own squad. Mm-hmm. Look at or come up with ranks of your own. Look at other people's like ranks and tiers for quarterbacks and make sure that the cost for the quarterback makes sense for when you're drafting them. Because like I just mentioned, if you think that or and I'm, I'm definitely in that camp, if you think that Drew Brees is going to have a bounce back year and he's not going to finish in terms of the QB ranks as he finished in 2017, then if you can get a pop possible top five QB or that if that's where you think Drew Brees is going to land in the ninth round, then take him in the ninth round. It's not going to matter. It's not going to hurt you in order to get that because, again, if you think that he's going to finish higher than that, you're actually getting him out of value. So we're not always or at least the mantra doesn't always dictate that you have to look at Marcus Mariota, that you have to look at Andy Dalton, not to say that those guys aren't valuable quarterbacks to take in the late rounds. But again, take that with a grain of salt and understand the value that can be placed on the position when you're drafting them. Great, great point. Uh, we're doing a, a mock draft with the guys at Rotoviz right now. That's a bunch of two QBs writers, a bunch of Rotoviz writers, and I'm traditionally a late round quarterback guy. I took Drew Brees in the fourth round because when Drew Brees slides there in a two quarterback format, I believe that he's worth that pick, and especially when he's falling behind guys that I have ranked lower, like when he goes behind Deshaun Watson when he goes behind Carson Wentz that's when you can feel appropriate you know in pouncing on a guy like that even though it's paying up for a quarterback it's paying up for a quarterback when that quarterback has been devalued and yeah I love that because you it's not about just waiting it's about waiting until you find the value and once you found it you don't have to wait anymore it's as simple as that absolutely yeah man um last thing before we go say something nice about this episode's other guest Josh Hermsmeyer Josh, that that man, he, he makes my head hurt, but but in a good way. I, I mean, I, I and as everybody knows, for the folks that follow me on Twitter, I come at this game strictly from a statistical and analytical perspective. I'm an engineer by day, so numbers are something that I look at constantly. And Josh also you can see a lot of the things or a lot of the tools that he builds and then the way that he approaches the game is also analytical. But Josh also has the, I guess, the, the acumen to also look at things from a tape perspective. He's mm-hmm. been putting up these wonderful gift threads of play after play from games that, and not even from games from 2017, from games that were 10, 15 years ago, trying to understand the game and take both, both research methods and combine them into a better understanding, a fuller understanding of the game of football, not just fantasy football football in and of itself and trying to optimize or better understand how we as fantasy fantasy and football consumers can understand the game and i think that's just a wonderful thing that he's been able to do so far and so anytime that he starts tweeting i'm taking notes i'm I, i'm i'm completely enthralled by what he's been able to do so far one of the best fantasy football follows you're going to find definitely check that out chris this has been a lot of fun man thanks again for coming on Most definitely. Thanks again for having me. And that does it for this two-a-day. Please take the time to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, to the 2QB experience. Make sure you follow Josh Hermsmeyer on Twitter, at FriscoJosh. 
as well as Chris Allen at Chris Allen FFWX. Check out the show description for links to their work, and be sure to head over to 2QBs.com to get your copy of our 2018 draft guide. This is the only draft guide around that's dedicated to two-quarterback and superflex fantasy football. So if you really want to dive in deep to this particular you know, niche format, um, it's, it's the best way to play, and uh, we've got you covered with the guide. You can follow the site on Twitter at 2QBs. You can follow me on Twitter at Greg Sauce. If you're tweeting at us you know, for the site or emailing us at 2QBs at gmail.com or just typing the URL into your browser, uh, you have to spell out 2QBs with letters. It's T-W-O-Q-B-S. Thank you all for listening. Catch you soon. Adios. <laughs>